You're listening to the 123 Show with me, Noreen Mayer, on this Monday afternoon. Let's turn to our first topic and guest of the week. In the next 20 minutes or so, we're talking to author Heather Diamond about her memoir, Rabbit in the Moon. Now, Heather is an American writer based here in Hong Kong, and she has a PhD in American Studies from the University of Hawaii and has worked as a bookseller, university lecturer, and a museum curator. And I'd like to give a warm welcome to Heather, who joins us live in the studio this afternoon. Welcome to the program, Heather. Thank you so much for joining us this afternoon. Thank you, Noreen. I'm delighted to be here. It's great to uh, see you again. Um, We met through a mutual friend, Crystal Kwok, uh, who who was my predecessor. She used to do the lunchtime program. Um, So it's really nice to to see you again. Um, I got to say, what a terrific uh, read, a really great memoir. Um, It's authentic and beautifully written. So for some of our listeners who are looking for a a great read uh, this summer, I really, really recommend recommend this book for you, which we will hear more this afternoon. So tell us a little bit more about your book, Rabbit in the Moon. What what is it about? Oh, let me start with the title, because Rabbit in the Moon, uh, for those who know Chinese culture, is pretty obvious. It's a... touches on a Chinese legend about the goddess Chang'e, the, the goddess on the moon and the magical rabbit who's stirring the elixir of immortality. But it's really a metaphor for the theme of the whole book, which was about me falling in love with a Chinese guy in the middle of my life when I was enmeshed in many other things, including being married. and realizing that I had to, in the process of of what it covers in the book, starting in Hawaii, then going to Hong Kong, much of it is set on the island of Changchao, learning to see with Chinese eyes. And it refers to a literal scene in the book where my husband-to-be is pointing to the full moon and saying, see the rabbit? And I can't see anything but a man in the moon because that's what I'd been raised to see. So uh, at that point he said, you have to have Chinese eyes. And I thought about that. This book actually started out with a very different title, which was Hot and Noisy, about the Chinese oh. aesthetic of things that I was not prepared for. Um, but really that metaphor of learning to see with Chinese eyes and to question all of my American values and to go back to my American life with what I learned on Changchao was what came together as the theme for the for the book, the overarching theme. Yeah, give us a little bit of background. What was your life like before you wrote the book? You were working, I, you've traveled sort of all around America. I think you're from Washington State. I'm from Washington State, north of Seattle, and I had lived in the Ozark Mountains in Arkansas, and I had been in Texas. I actually lived in Houston for 25 years. I was full-time faculty at the Houston Community College teaching English, teaching multicultural literature. I had many Asian students and students from around the world. And I ended up taking a summer seminar on China in Hawaii so that I could teach better about Asia. And in that seminar, I met Fred. And that sort of changed everything. Wow. Um, We are live this afternoon, by the way, on on Facebook as well. So for some of our listeners, uh, feel free to be viewers this afternoon. You can head over to Noreen Mir on RTHK Radio 3. And we're chatting with Heather about her memoir, uh, Rabbit in the Moon. So the inspiration behind your book, when did you decide to write a memoir? Because it's sort of like a defining moment of your life that you've lived your life sort of uh, with more experience and long enough to decide to write about it. Mm. I didn't start writing until I was 63. Amazing. I 
I had been a museum curator. I had been really a, uh, a caretaker of other people's stories for much of my life. I was teaching folklore in the community college and having my students interview their elders, interview their families and communities and collect their stories. And then as a museum curator, I worked in a Native Hawaiian historical museum where I was helping to interpret Native Hawaiian history and also collecting stories there as well. Oh, wow. So I really had spent much of my life in service to other people's stories, and I, I love the connections that people make when they tell family stories and what they learn about themselves and, and their families and their identities. But I really didn't think I had a story to tell until I left my museum job and I took a creative nonfiction class online and started writing down some of the stories of my experiences in my Chinese family that I'd been telling to other people, mostly as sort of humorous anecdotes. And it wasn't until I really started writing those that I realized I had a bigger story I wanted to tell about, about what I've learned from my intercultural marriage um, and also talking to people that don't travel and realizing how little Americans know about about China, about Asia in general, about China, about Hong Kong, and about Chinese culture, and realizing that there was a lot that I had learned both by being a, I was a fellow at the East-West Center in Hawaii in a cohort of international people. So um, finding out what people were learning from their international and intercultural relationships and then um, putting that into story form, I felt that it started to feel important to be able to communicate that. Yeah, I love the way you write about Hong Kong um, and just seeing it through your new Chinese eyes. And I love the way you write about your Chinese family. And also just going back to your American family as well, you know, talking about your relationship with your own mom and just re-examining um, all of that. So let's, you know, delve right into your memoir. Were there any sort of difficult moments for you to talk about in particular, perhaps um, meeting Fred and sort of, you know, coming to terms with uh, you being married and he was married as well. And, and, you know, you just can't help who you fall in love with. Was that difficult to remember and then to put into words? Not so difficult to remember, but definitely a lot of considerations in terms of how you write about something like that. Um, what I tell, I, I'm a compulsive truth teller. I don't have any problem telling everybody everything about myself. But you would be, obviously. because if you, if you had the memoir. <laughs> I'm a memoirist. And so it's just a natural outgrowth of that. I feel like if you tell people your secrets, they're much less, much less likely to make things up about you. Absolutely. And the story's got more chance of being accurate. Um, but telling other people's stories, that's a little more difficult. And I think there are a lot of ethical considerations in terms of that? How much do you tell about uh, other people's stories? How is that going to affect people that you love, that love you, that trust you? Um, so there are a lot of considerations like that. I think, like most memoirs, you write everything, and then you go back and you consider, is this, um, am I being compassionate in my telling? Is this something that is gratuitous, or is it necessary to the story? I will probably always tell more than other people are comfortable with. Um, fortunately, my husband is a good sport about it all and has been very supportive, but I don't think he would have ever volunteered to tell all this stuff. And he's he's gone along with it because he sees it's important to me. But there are things, you know, like talking about infidelity, talking about divorce, those things are hard to talk about publicly and not everyone feels that those should be public stories. 
and also talking about um, I have an, a grown daughter and and talking about some of the conflicts that we've had I think it, there were some things I chose to leave out because I feel those are her story and some things that I checked out with her to make sure that she was she knew that this was in there and she was okay with my telling those things and fortunately she also believes in my um, my my ownership of my own story and has said you know I may not have wanted you to tell this but I but I support you in telling it um, maybe a little more difficult talking about my own mother I, I have a section in the book that talks about reverse cultural shock mm -hmm. which is a real thing once you've immersed in another culture going back to your own um, I think makes you think like an anthropologist or at least me and and see for me seeing my American culture in a different way and really questioning um, things that seemed normal before and then seemed dysfunctional after I've entered into thinking about um, understanding my Chinese family so my family who hasn't had that same experience might not see it the way that I've portrayed it and so I I think that's always a really delicate balance someone else might choose to tell more than I did uh, someone else might choose to, to tell less than I did so I think that those are ethical choices that are that have no clear answers yeah and it was written in such an authentic manner did you have to revise certain chapters of your books and um, did you have an editor to sort of you know for you hmm. to talk through things uh, you know this might work this might not work you need to re rewrite it what was that process like uh, this, the book started out much longer than it is now. Whole chapters got cut out of it. Whole chapters? Whole chapters have gone away, and maybe they'll become essays at some point. Um, book two. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, things that that maybe I decided didn't serve the story, but also uh, some of them were, were things where I had decided that this is somebody else's story and it's not mine to tell. Um, we had a very interesting conflict at one point my between me and my husband where I asked about whether I should be talking to his family for permission to tell these stories I used to do ethnographic research and when I was an academic and you always do a, a, a human uh, survey form that that gets permission, oh, permission. for you oh. to tell anything this is to cover you in case of lawsuits mostly um, but it, you know it's a it's an ethical kind of consideration and he was saying you're part of the family you shouldn't have to ask permission and so we were going back and forth about that but it was really difference between a Chinese concept and an American concept I felt like I had to ask permission and he was saying if you do you'll be branding yourself as an outsider that doesn't even get it that you're an outsider and we went back and forth and I finally had to accept that I would never understand the concept from his perspective so um, there were a lot of revisions I probably revised the whole book maybe ten times and I did work with a, a coach an editor um, then the editors at the press so there, there's been a lot of editing done uh, fortunately I worked with a Taiwanese press and both of them are their Mandarin speakers both of, the, both of the editors but they worked with the Cantonese specialist as well because I'm not a Cantonese speaker and I only have a little of Cantonese in it but I wanted to make sure that it was accurate some people may still take issue with it but at least it's been through those filters 
Yeah. Um, we are live this afternoon uh, on Facebook as well. Noreen Mir on RTHK Radio 3 and we're talking to the author of Rabbit in the Moon, Heather Diamond. And Joe on the Facebook page says, can't wait to read it. Well, Joe, um, it's very good. So definitely recommend it. Um, let's talk a little bit more about the substance of the book. There were um, sort of difficult issues that you had to talk about. Uh, infidelity is one of them. Uh, you had to, uh, you know, talk about interracial uh, marriages, relationships. Um how honest did you decide in the onset when you were writing about it to include the feelings that you have for your husband and sort of coming to terms with a marriage that didn't work out? And like you, you know, you said you already had a life, um, a life that was going well, you know, a, a secure job, family. That's not a difficult decision to make, um, sort of leaving everything. What was that like for you? I, yes, I was married. I had a house. I had a good full-time job. I had... Um, lots of friends. I had cats that I had to find homes for. I mean, I really upended everything. And when I, I was planning to go to Hawaii for graduate school and then come back, but in the middle of that, Fred, my, my husband-to-be at the time, uh, got a job in Hawaii and moved to Hawaii, so I ended up not going back to Texas it's and selling my house. It's funny how the universe sort of aligns everything else then for your new it's path. the snowball effect, <laughs> yes. You take one step in the direction of your fate and everything unfolds. So that was um, that was a huge change, and it was it was painful. I had times where I couldn't walk down the aisle at a grocery store where the cat food was without bursting into tears. I missed my daughter. I missed my friends. Um, it was a it was a huge change, you know. We moved to Hawaii though, which most people will say they're not going to feel sorry for me for that. And Hawaii is midway between where I grew up and where Fred grew up, and it's culturally very very Asian in many ways, much different than mainland, as we call it there in continental U.S. And as a white American moving to Hawaii, I think that was a great middle ground for starting. Um, an intercultural relationship. He was comfortable there because it was very Asian, and I was comfortable there because it was Asia, but it wasn't. Um, so it was a great place to to unfold our relationship yeah. before we went to Hong Kong. <laughs> exactly. Well, we'll talk more about your life in Hong Kong as well. Let's talk about an intercultural relationship. Now, you know, how different is it to a regular relationship? You know, a relationship is a relationship. You go through the ups and downs of, of it. How does culture really feature in, you know, uh, the ups and downs of it? How does it feature in the arguments? How does it feature <laughs> in the celebrations of, of things? Is it is it a big deal? Yeah, it's a big deal. Um, it was a bigger deal in Hong Kong, and still is, than it was in Hawaii. Oh, where do I start? Um, it's like the little unspoken sort of understandings. Um, I don't know if we're typical in any way, because we're both ethnographers, and so we both think like anthropologists, which helped us a lot, because we are, and we're both teachers, and so we explained each other's cultures to each other constantly. But that doesn't mean that you don't have arguments about where you're going to eat or what you're going to eat or why he's, you know, cooking that rice stuff all day long and the whole house smells like that. Um, you know, we have constant discussions about that. I, back to Hawaii. In Hawaii, white people are referred to as haole. Oh. And haole means foreigner. Mean? Foreigner. And it can be used as a pejorative. Mm. Um, there, you know, So I was already having that experience of being an outsider and being marginalized. And but, in Hong Kong as well? I'm, um, much less in Hong Kong, oh. even though I'm much more, uh, you know, 
I stand out more in mm-hmm. Hong Kong, especially in the neighborhoods where we've lived, um, than I did in Hawaii. But I was much more aware of being white in Hawaii, and so what, why is that? It's that, the, that's part of America, though. I've never been to Hawaii, uh, so for some of well, our listeners... It's got a unique history. It's got a plantation yes. history. Hawaii was illegally overthrown by the United States. It mm-hmm. was a kingdom, and uh, it was illegally thr- overthrown by the United States in 1893. And it so had always a plantation that. history, so it had waves of Asian immigrants coming in to work on the plantations mm-hmm. that then stayed. There's a lot of intermarriage in Hawaii, so that's much more common. We were normal there. We were much more likely to stand out when we went to back to the continental United States. Yeah, okay, wow, that's very interesting. And then moving to Hong Kong, was there a big culture shock for you? Yes, and I thought that I was much more culturally savvy and prepared. You know, I've been reading about Asia all this time. I have lots of Asian students. I'd been to Vietnam. I had um, been to Singapore to see him, and yet I was totally unprepared for the for a number of things. I was a vegetarian; that was probably the worst part. And so, and I have since realized that I just can't do that here. Is it and getting not better? Out. Is it getting better? I see more restaurants sort of embracing. <laughs> I'm the- not vegetarian anymore. I gave up a long time ago. I mean, I'm still squeamish about certain things, but. You know, I was so intent on fitting in with his family. Yeah, um, of course, Chinese family is very. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm half Chinese. I know that you know Chinese people like pork. Yes, <laughs> and of- they kept telling me there was only a little pork in it for flavor. You know, or the chicken foot was just a garnish. And there's you know, a whole there were- lump of meat in the soup. <laughs> yes. So I, you know, I realized I was just being yeah. a spectacle. I was too much trouble, and and my need to, my desire to fit in and to be a a, a good family member, um, overrode my my taste. So you know, I tend to eat vegetarian when I'm by myself, but not the rest of the time. So you know, I have I have my lines I don't cross, but I try to be really. Um, unobtrusive about those and then you know things like privacy that was really hard for me and independence because my husband is from a communal family that lived in a communal household and when we first came to Hong Kong we lived on Changchao for six months and then in, in Discovery Bay for three months and I was really not prepared for things like group travel or people coming in, you know, doors being opened without knocking and uh, multiple voices on every decision that had to be made. Those things were, they really ran me up against my American assumptions, That things I hadn't even thought about. I, I felt like people were intruding on my space. And but that's they, just the norm. And it but, was just normal, exactly. Yeah, and it's not personal. How, how did you deal with that? How did you sort of put aside your, really the culture that you grew up with, your Americanism versus this new culture that's surrounding you? I didn't behave well a lot of the time. (laughs) I I tried, but you know, I I was probably pretending to be more polite than I was. We had a lot of behind-the-scenes discussions about, about my sense of my personal bubble, my privacy, that he kept saying didn't exist. And, um, you know, the whole concept of of wanting to do things on our own when, you know, I, I gradually came to realize, oh, this is how people love each other. This is how people care for each other. And now I find it all quite entertaining and humorous. But I think 
finding my sense of humor about it really was key and and maybe our ability to to talk about culture was also key to that to really be able to get down and understand okay why are people doing this they're not doing this just to vex me they're doing this because this is part of a whole value system that I need to understand and I think your book really examines those things because it makes you I mean you know growing up in Hong Kong it makes me think gosh you know that is the Hong Kong culture and <laughs> and it makes you feel for you as well um, so that's uh, very interesting I, I want to uh, very lastly turn to sort of advice for, for people who want to write their own stories. I mean, Heather, I didn't realize you had to go through so many drafts, take out whole chapters of your memoir. It's a very private and personal story that's written in a way to bring people on your journey to, you know, what's in the past is very mm -hmm. present. What's your advice for people to write a memoir without having to being, get stuck in that sort of painful moment? Because, you know, we move on with you. In your memoir, as you move on, we, we travel with you. How... I mean, is it difficult to not get stuck in the past? What's the process like for you to write something that's, you know, authentic and for people to, um, yeah, not get stuck in the past, if, if that makes sense? That does make sense. And there's a couple of questions in there. The first one is don't wait. Don't wait to write stories because, and don't worry about what, how to craft it. Um, I think the most important thing is take notes, ask people questions, write things down because people will pass away. Yeah. People will be gone. I have a section about my grandparents, and there's so many questions I wish I could ask them, and I can't. Mm -hmm. And so uh, the first thing is don't even worry about the publishing end of it and the crafting end of it. Just get all the information down, and there's plenty of books out there. There are really good classes to teach you how to craft it and also how to do the self-care it takes along the way because I think you know there are a lot of people writing about very traumatic things in memoirs, and it does take a lot of self-care, and there are some wonderful resources out there for for how to visit the past without living in it. Yeah, that's, yes, you put it much better than mm -hmm. me, yes. Um, and um, did you have a publishing circle or, you know, how did you get feedback for, for your memoir? I started with online writing classes and I've oh, wow. become friends with a number of uh, women writers who are memoirists. There are Facebook groups for women writers. There are all kinds of resources out there and uh, people end up networking a lot through uh, these, these Facebook groups for writers as well as writing circles that evolve out of these classes. Yeah. Well, finally, Heather, it's been so lovely to see you again. Can you remind our listeners, how can we find out more about you and your book? Have you got a website and are you on social media? I am. Uh, my website is heatherdiamondwriter.com and I have the links for how to order the book on my website. Excellent. And we'll post it um, as part of this Facebook Thank Live you. as well. Thank you so much for your time this afternoon. And that's Heather Diamond, uh, the author of Rabbit in the Moon, joining us this afternoon. Thank you so much. Thank you, Noreen.